Hi, this is episode number 15 of Highlighting the Best of Youth Sports, brought to you by Numbers Don't Lie Productions. In this interview, we had Jimmy Rusamano of the HSS Sports Safety Program. When athletes get to a major college sports program, the resources are abundant when it comes to sports safety training and education. But those resources have been lacking for many years for coaches, parents, and athletes participating at the high school and youth levels of sports. The HSS Safety Learning Center identified this problem and is on a mission to educate and prevent common injuries at the high school and youth levels. Through a generous grant, they're bringing these resources to the masses, and it's all free and online for anyone willing to educate themselves and the athletes they're leading. The best part is that these resources have science, doctors, and research behind them. We know you're going to get a lot out of this episode because safety and preventing injuries to our athletes is always a top priority. Before we get into the episode, be sure to subscribe so new episodes will be sent to you automatically, and please help us reach more people by leaving a rating and review on your favorite podcast platform of choice. And remember, if you'd like to learn more about the services offered by Numbers Don't Lie and how we can help you highlight your athlete's special skills, be sure to visit numbersdontlie.biz. Now let's get into this episode. Welcome to Highlighting the Best of Youth Sports, where we bring you insights from top athletes, their sports journey, and those positively impacting the youth sports community. If you're ready like we are, let's go! I want to welcome everyone to Highlighting the Best of Youth Sports, and we're excited today to have Jimmy Russo-Mano, from the HSS Sports Safety Learning Center. Jimmy, we want to thank you very much for being here. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. Thanks for having me, TJ. It's, uh, it's exciting to speak to your audience. Great. Well, th- again, thank you for being here. And why don't, you, why don't we start by you just telling us uh, a little bit about your background, uh, your background in sports and in sports safety. Sure. My background uh, as an athlete goes way back to a time before I can even remember. Um, but I, I never thought about working in sports until um actually until I, I suffered an ACL tear uh, as a sophomore in high school when i had my injury i thought oh my gosh this is the worst thing ever i want to become an orthopedic surgeon so i can help get athletes back out onto the field uh when they get hurt and the more and more i thought about orthopedic surgery i said well maybe there's something else i can do before a kid uh, or an athlete gets hurt so that they never have to end up on the, the operating room table in the first place. So that's when I kind of started looking at, at college and I thought, well, what do I want to do? How, how can I make an impact besides being a surgeon? And uh, strength and conditioning was the field that kind of called my name. And I thought, you know, this is the role of a lot of strength coaches at the professional and college sports level is to prepare athletes for sports and more specifically to, to prepare them to be safe when they're playing sports so that they run well and they jump well and they have every resource to keep them on the field so that they can keep playing the game that they're so good at and that they love so much. I actually started interning as a strength and conditioning coach when I was a sophomore in college. Uh, I went to a school called Villanova University and, and I interned with our uh, men's and women's basketball strength and conditioning coach for a few years. And, and learn so much. You think as a young athlete and as a high school athlete, you have access to great resources, but 
you really have no idea how amazing the resources uh, that are out there are until you get to a top program. And so we were completely focused on our roughly 30 uh, men's and women's basketball players, making sure that we did everything possible to keep them safe so that they could keep playing basketball. Um, I, I heard a quote recently that said a basketball player's greatest ability is their availability, which I really liked. Um, it doesn't oh, yeah. matter how fast or it doesn't matter how strong you are. If you're not uh, able to play because you're hurt, you're no help to your team. Absolutely. And, and we've, we've heard that quote several times and it's one of the ones we lo love to use and it's got so many different levels. So I, I didn't mean to interrupt. I just love that quote. So no, keep, course, keep, keep going, Jimmy. So, yeah. So uh, I kind of continued doing that. I, I worked with uh, a couple other universities. I, I did an, a quick summer internship at Michigan State University. And then I, I ultimately ended up in graduate school at the University of Illinois. And I saw this same trend. Athletes get every resource they could possibly want when they're in college. But our freshmen every year, the ones who were just coming up from high school, it was so obvious how few resources they had. They, for the most part, couldn't squat without weights. They couldn't jump and land properly. There were so many things that we had to teach our freshman athletes that it, it was almost like they were a part of a separate team. We had our sophomore juniors and seniors who were all proficient at moving and jumping and, and all these fundamental athletic movements. But our freshmen, it was like a completely different group. And so I thought, man, there, there must be another way to solve this problem. We need to get these resources in the hands of younger athletes, not just top college athletes. So um, when I finished my, uh, my master's degree, I actually was offered a job with the United States Tennis Association at the, the National Tennis Center, which is the home of actually the, the U.S. Open in Queens, New York. And at the Tennis Center, um, for one month a year, we host the U.S. Open. And for the other 10 to 11 months of the year, we're actually a, we were a community tennis organization. And so we had um, local New York City kids that would come in and train. And I was actually the really the first strength and conditioning coach that they hired for uh, these community initiatives. And so it, it gave me a chance to work with great tennis players that were between, let's say, eight and 15 years old. And I got to do exactly what I did with, with my college athletes, but with a younger population. And I realized, man, if, if every kid in the country had access to resources like this, we probably would see a whole lot less injuries. And it would probably mean that they'd be able to have more fun playing sports and, and maybe they wouldn't get burnt out so quickly. Uh, or maybe they wouldn't get turned off of playing sports in the first place. So uh, it, it just so happened that um, this amazing position at a place called Hospital for Special Surgery opened up where they were looking for someone to do exactly what I was doing um, with my young athletes, which was teaching fundamental movement skills, but not just to athletes that were standing in front of me, to athletes that were around the country. Uh, and we do that through training of coaches and parents, and then, of course, working with the, the kids themselves when we do have the chance. Now, what did you get, end up getting your degree in? Is it in strength and conditioning? It's not. My, my degree is in uh, something called comprehensive science. So it was kind of a blend of biophysics and chemistry. So you have to have a good idea of how all of those different disciplines work together to understand the body. But there are so many amazing exercise science and kinesiology programs around the country that would probably give a, a, a college student 
a bit more practical experience than I was able to get in the classroom. And so you've, mm. you've obviously saw a problem that, that needed to be solved and you went all in on your career as far as, you know, the strength and conditioning piece and a lot of the preventative stuff that you saw was lacking. And now you've partnered with uh, or joined uh, in a position with HSS yeah. uh, Sports Safety Learning and uh, you're working with them. So why don't you just tell us a little bit about uh, the Sports Safety Learning Center and what they're doing overall and then what your specific role is with them? Uh, well, I'll take you back just quickly. Uh, HSS is, is a place called Hospital for Special Surgery. It's the oldest orthopedic hospital in, uh, in the country. Um, orthopedics being, uh, meaning that we deal with uh, injuries or, or conditions of the bones, joints, and muscles. So that means you see a lot of athletes. Um, and, and the hospital actually dates back to the Civil War era. And so I always like to imagine what orthopedic uh, surgery was like during the Civil War, which is just totally different than, than anything you and I can imagine now in a, in a modern hospital. Anyway, an amazing, generous person, uh, one of our board members, gave a grant so that we could create this learning center this, that's focused completely around the safety of young athletes. And so everyone that's involved in the development of a young athlete, from the athletes themselves to their parents, their phys ed teachers, their sports coaches, their principal or athletic director, everyone plays a really important role in keeping that child safe. And everyone's role requires a little bit of different education. So, for example, a, a coach's role is to lead an effective warm-up program, something that can properly prepare a, a child for a game. A phys ed teacher's job is to teach that, that student how to jump and land properly, those fundamental movements. Our uh, focus with, with this sports safety learning center is to... Um, put resources out there so each of these groups can get properly trained to, to do the best they can at their specific job. Okay, great. And, and what is your role with, within that specific organization? Yeah, I, I'm the manager of our education. So I oversee a, a team of, of right now eight uh, staff members who help uh, develop content. The same way that in, you know, someone's public school, there's a, a science department head. That's kind of like my job. I'm, I'm the, the, the manager of our education. So all of our curriculum, all of our content, um, I kind of oversee its development. Can you tell us, uh, so as far as the content and uh, the content creation and, and the different types of programs you have, is it more localized for where you guys are at? And you're, you're the... Learning Center is in New York, is that correct? No, the Learning Center is actually, it's what we call our, it's our online, online. center, really. Um, okay, perfect. Yeah, so it's, it's available to anyone uh, around the country or the world. Our actual program and most of our staff are in the New York City metropolitan area. We've actually done workshops in, I think, seven states now, six or seven states, Colorado, Florida, Pennsylvania, New York, New Jersey. Anytime we're traveling for, for other projects, at work, we try to stop into a local school and, and do a workshop with them. So the the main focus then of of how you're getting uh, the word out, how you're getting these programs out, is online. So it, so it's available to anyone. And is there a cost, or is the foundation covering the cost of it? Is it free to people? Tell us yeah, how that works. Yeah, we're very lucky to have this generous uh, funder. This they gave us a, a, a great grant that allows us to do everything that we do with no cost to our learners. So. Um, yeah, if you go to our, 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 uh, learning centers website, which is 
sports-safety.hss.edu. Um, yep, I'm there right you, now. You can have, yeah, yeah, you can have access to any of our courses um, for free. Okay, great. And so there's resources on there that I can see for uh, the, the individual athletes, uh, their parents, as well as coaches, and um, I believe uh, physical education instructors as well. So there's, yeah. there's lots of different resources there. That's right. Yeah. What's pretty crazy is we did these workshops before we put them online. Um, we wanted to make sure that they were effective in the live setting. So we did dozens of workshops with coaches. We did dozens of uh, presentations to parents and we checked to see how much they learned over the course of the workshop. And what was most interesting to us is that when we put it online, we actually saw that their knowledge increased even more than when it was in person. We assume it's because it gives people the, the opportunity to pause and rewind and listen to something again and kind of learn at their own speed. But we're so happy that uh, it, it actually may even be a, a greater way to teach than, than teaching in person. I'm going to pivot here a little bit. So let, let's say I, I, I'm a high school athlete. And what, what would be some of the best practices we come into your site for us to take the most uh, from your content? How, wh what would you recommend we do first and some of the best practices we can do as far as learning and absorbing the education materials you have available? For a high school athlete right now, the, the course that we offer is called Sports Anatomy, and it simply teaches, our, teaches athletes uh, about their bodies. We hear about bones, joints, ligaments, muscles, but I think... Uh, a lot of times people talking about it, you know, if we're watching a sports game and someone gets hurt and they're doing an injury report, they're assuming that everyone in the world knows what those things are and what the ramification of an injured ligament or muscle might be. Um, but I don't believe that's the case. So we always, we have every group start with this sports anatomy course because it, it just builds a just a greater foundation, a greater understanding of the importance of the different parts of an athlete's body. We're developing a, a course for athletes that's it's just not ready yet. But from there, what we encourage athletes to do is share the resources with their parents and coaches so that they can get trained. If if an athlete has a good understanding of their, their anatomy and they, they're, they're bought in to, um, to knowing that they need to train their body correctly, and then they share our coach course with their coach, their coach is going to have a really easy time getting that message out to the group. So our, our coach course is called um, Lead a Neurodynamic Warm-Up. And for years, coaches have been doing something called dynamic warm-ups, which are great. They get the athletes, you know, heart rate increased and their core body temperature is higher, all these great things to prepare them for a game, but they haven't done a whole lot to improve their their motor skills or their movement quality using that warm-up. And so we add the word neuro or, or um, we add neuro before dynamic in our neurodynamic warm-up because we want to involve the brain and nervous system. We want the athletes to control their bodies better. And so we're not only moving, but we're moving with greater control as a result of this warm-up. And so if, like I said, if a high school athlete shares this training course with their coach, their coach will be well-trained and able to effectively lead a neurodynamic warm-up, um, which will benefit not just that one athlete, but everyone on their team. So the, the, you have tra training content, you have courses that, uh, you know, the athletes can take a look at, but more importantly, those that are leading the athletes, uh, the coaches, things like that. 
can you tell us just the, the, what type of research has gone into these training programs and courses and are there uh, neurosurgeons involved? Are there doctors involved uh, that are giving it just even more authority uh, as far as being in, being in this area? Yeah. So uh, it's a great question. It's so important to us at the hospital because everything that we do needs to be founded on research. We, we can't just be publishing things or putting resources out there that, that haven't shown some sort of effectiveness. So the whole concept of the neurodynamic warm-up is based on um, the principles of a, something called neuromuscular training. And so neuromuscular training has been around for quite a while. It's been shown time and time again. I, I would encourage your uh, listeners to, do, to even look it up themselves. But neuromuscular training has been shown to reduce injury rates and improve performance of athletes. Neuromuscular training is basically what strength and conditioning coaches do at the top level of sport. And so we took those principles and we put them into a warm-up that takes about five to 10 minutes. Besides that, our online coach course has shown, uh, so we, we for uh, about a year, um, gave coaches a survey before, after, and one month later uh, after completing the course. So basically they got it right before they took the course. Then they took the course and immediately took a survey again. And then we sent them another survey a month later to see how, how has their knowledge changed during that time. And we saw really great improvements from before to after almost like 27% increase in knowledge, which is who who would who wouldn't be happy with that? We were thrilled. Right, those are um, those are incredible numbers. That that's really good. Yeah, it's great. One month later, we've started to see a smaller drop off in knowledge, which you can imagine. I mean, people forget things a month after they learn something, and we're just starting to get some reports of three months later, and it seems like there's a pretty major drop off in knowledge. So that tells us that. If you're educated, let's say day one, the first day of your season, three months later, which is most sports seasons are typically about three months in length, um, we've seen a pretty significant drop off, uh, basically almost back to square one. So what we're doing currently is, is we're, we're using that uh, as um, kind of our motivation to reach back out to coaches uh, halfway through the season and say, hey, why don't you go through the course again? Um, you know, in the interest of the safety of your athletes, we think it's best that, that you just give yourself a refresher. And it only takes about 30 minutes to get through the course in the first place. So, um, you know, if, if, if you can carve out 30 minutes somewhere in the midseason and uh, it, it gives you the education needed to protect your athletes, I'm going to tell you it's probably worthwhile. Yeah, it's, it seems like it needs to be part of the program, something that needs to be more uh, habits created around, uh, around the information and uh, habits don't, you know, yeah. you get the information one time, but you got to make sure you're putting it into practice and that should include reviewing the material. So it sounds like you guys are, are really on the, uh, on the early end uh, of where this is going to go and it's going to be something big for the future. So hopefully you have new, new courses coming out on a regular basis over time. Yeah, we're expecting to have a few out by the end of the year. Um, and we're really excited because these ones will be geared towards athletes and what, what they can do at home. Uh, if it's a rainy day and practice is canceled or something, you know, put on this course and, and 30 minutes later, you'll, you'll have a better idea of what, what you should be doing to jump and land 
with greater control and run and change direction uh, with greater control. So yeah, that, that'll be coming soon. So can you, what are some of the, can you tell us uh, what are some of the most common injuries uh, that you all have identified as being uh, preventable? What are some of the most common injuries? Well, our focus, um, I don't want to say that it's one of the most common injuries, but it sure is uh, one that we're all very well aware of is, is um, the ACL tear. And the reason we, we put a lot of our efforts into ACL injuries um, for, for a few reasons. One, because we see a lot of young athletes come to our hospital uh, for ACL reconstructions and, it, and uh, that, that was motivation enough. We also focus on it because it's happening to about 250,000 people a year in the United States. And if you think about 250,000 people who are missing out on probably at least one year of physical activity to recover from an injury, that is just brutal. Um, That's a lot of missed time. It's no fun for anyone. And then it results in a whole host of injury uh, issues down the line, like arthritis and all that. But um, if if I go back to your original question, uh, I can kind of talk about what makes injuries preventable. Yes, please do. Um, and if you think about something like an yeah, if you think about something like an ACL tear, thirty percent of them are related to some sort of contact. Like if you watch football, you know that somebody gets hit low, and and there's not a whole lot we can do about that thirty percent. But the other seventy percent are often related to um, an awkward jump or landing or plant or deceleration, something like that. So if you if you look up an ACL tear, if you know of an athlete that's recently torn an ACL, all too often we see, I'll give an example, Robert Griffin, uh, RG3, former quarterback for the Redskins. I'm not sure where he's playing right now. He's with, um, Bal- he's with Baltimore now. Off- so. Okay, yeah, right. So uh, RG3 planted awkwardly and, and unfortunately t- tore his ACL and, and is out for the season. And we see that well, we saw that three times in his college and pro career, and we see it all the time in that word they did something awkwardly. And so we looked at that and said, well, what if they just didn't do it awkwardly? What if we taught them to plant with greater control? What if we taught them to kind of preserve their health with, with better movement quality? We, there's a really interesting uh, article that I read a, maybe a year or two ago, and it was comparing pro athletes, New York, to our Broadway dancers uh, in New York. And the question the the author was asking is, uh, with Lion King on Broadway, why don't we see as many ACL tears as we see with the New York Knicks or with the New York Giants? Because they're jumping just as high, they're just as explosive, but for some reason, they're not getting injured the same way that our athletes are getting injured. And we think it comes back to movement quality. The dancers are focused on landing properly and gracefully, where the football players aren't really focused on landing. They're focused on getting into the end zone. And so they sacrifice movement quality for, you know, some sort of, they'd rather have bad technique and get into the end zone than have good technique and not miss the rest of their season, if that makes sense. It it does. And that's such an interesting comparison. And it brings to mind for me, uh, one of the, um, all-time great uh, wide receivers uh, in the NFL was Lynn Swan, and if I'm if if mm. I'm if I can recall, I I want to say he was known that he took private ballet lessons, and it may have been dance, it may not have been ballet, but I I'm almost certain it was, um, and that's one of the interesting things I, I've uh, heard about him, and it's just an interesting correlation because of the 
acrobatic catches that he made. And I, I, I'd be interested to learn about what type of, if any, injuries he had uh, related to that, which I'm, I'm sure, I, like I said, I think that's just a very interesting comparison and it, it, brought, it brought that to mind for me. It is. And there are no shortage of injuries in dance. Of course, there are other things that they have going on, but they, they did look at it through that lens of a, of a very common sports injury, like an ACL tear. But I think the Dallas Cowboys also, uh, for a period of time, had like a a ballet bar installed in their training area and they were practicing uh even even the the big defensive linemen i think were getting in because they saw they saw value to focusing on kind of the aesthetic movement more than just you know brute strength yeah that that's very interesting is there anything you want to add before i move into what we call our rapid fire final four but is there anything you'd like to add real quick we we always just encourage everyone to especially parents take a step back and look at the bigger picture. Um, you know, if, if you can dedicate 10 minutes, 15 minutes a day to improving the way that you move, not only will, you know, your odds of sustaining an injury go down, um, but you'll also enjoy playing the sport more if you've got better control of your body. And so we always encourage everyone, even the best athletes in the world, take some time, to just get better at moving and controlling your body because it's going to make your enjoyment of the game a whole lot more fun. No, that's, that's great advice. And, and we appreciate that. And I know our audience will as well. So, um, so we're ready to move on to our, what we call our rapid, rapid fire final four. It's typically um, tailored towards our, our young athletes, but uh, we'll, we'll, we'll adapt it for you uh, <laughs> as, as we go. So uh, if you're ready, we'll go ahead and get started. Let's do it. Okay. What's the one big goal for HSS Sports Safety Learning Center for this year? If you had to choose one, what's the biggest goal you guys have? We want to get into as many phys ed classes as we possibly can. Perfect. Jimmy, what's the best piece of advice you've ever received personally from a coach or a mentor? It's from a guy who actually just retired last week. He was the head strength conditioning coach at Michigan State University. And he told me, if you're not coaching, you're letting it happen. Wow, that's great. That's great advice. Love I love that. Where can people f- uh, follow you, Jimmy, uh, or H- HSS Sports Safety Learning Center, uh, or both, and find out and learn more about what everyone's doing? Yeah, you can go to our, our website, sports-safety.hss.edu, or you can follow Hospital for Special Surgery on Instagram, H special surgery. Okay, perfect. And we'll make sure we put all of that stuff uh, in our show notes as well and link this out to everyone. I'm, I just want to thank you again. This has been really valuable. And I know when you guys reached out to us, we weren't quite sure how it would work and, and is our audience right for you, but it definitely is. And I, I think what you guys are doing is amazing. And I'm definitely going to be following and uh, maybe be able to have you guys on again soon. And uh, maybe we can work out some other type of partnerships in the future. But I w- again, I want to thank you so much. And we appreciate the things you guys are all doing and what you're doing, Jimmy. Thank you very much. Yeah, thanks so much, PJ. It was great speaking with you. I hope we get to uh, speak soon. We hope you enjoyed this episode of highlighting the best of youth sports. Be sure and subscribe. And please help us reach more people by leaving a rating and review on your favorite podcast platform of choice. If you or someone you know are interested in learning more about Numbers Don't Lie and what we do, what programs and services we offer for athletes, and how to get your athlete involved, be sure to visit numbersdontlie.biz. Until our next episode, go out and win the day and never miss your opportunity to be great. Thanks for listening to Highlighting the Best of You Sports.